Hear now the word of the living God. The former treatise have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach, until the day in which he was taken up. After that, he, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, Ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. O Lord our God, we do give thee thanks this morning for thy word. We ask, O Lord, that as we gather to hear this word preached, that thou wouldst give us ears that would hear, that hearts would be soft, that they would be attentive to what thou would say to us. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. You do have the outline there in front of you, a little different outline, but this morning we will look at this introduction to the Acts of the Apostles. We come to a new series of sermons from one of the most neglected books in the New Testament in terms of preaching, but one of the most wonderful accounts of the early church. We will discover the incredible journey of the early church and the key to its growth and its success. Acts is a written testimony of the growth of the church. Here we see the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We see the bold preaching of the gospel. We see many wonderful things done by the power of the Spirit. And we see the spread of Christianity throughout the world. As we journey through this historical account, I trust that we will not discover just simply a record of past events of that apostolic age, but that we would see a beautiful account of how the church of Jesus Christ grows and testifies to the saving work of Christ throughout all the earth. If we miss that, then we have not followed well the message of the book of Acts. Because if we have to sum it up in just a short sentence, the book of Acts is a testimony to the saving work of the Lord Jesus Christ and the growth of the kingdom of Christ throughout all the earth. Our purpose in this first sermon is for us to look at some of the background to this particular book (coughs) And then to look at this opening prologue, which introduces us to the book. As we look at the background, uh, obviously sometimes the background is the thing that becomes 
um, neglected so often. We don't have any understanding of what is happening. And yet I think the background, even though it can be very tedious, is important to understand the book. And so as we deal with the author, I think most of us know by now or should know that Luke is the author of the Acts of the Apostles. He also wrote the gospel that bears his name that we have just concluded here a number of weeks ago. This is a sequel to the gospel of Luke. Irenaeus, the second century church father, attributes the Acts of the Apostles to Dr. Luke. The early church, for several centuries, recognized that the book of Acts was written by Luke, the physician. The church has never wavered on that. There's external evidence, there's internal evidence to show that Luke wrote this sequel to the Gospel of Luke. The church has, ex- has, ex- has historically identified Luke Acts as the same author. He is, it is called the Acts of the Apostles because we see the apostles going forth and preaching and establishing churches. Some scholars, and I, I don't think this is, this is accurate, but some scholars believe that the titles of the books of the New Testament particularly were added centuries later. But that is not the case. I believe that those titles are inspired as the text as well. Because the title has, has a lot to do with the text as well. And so the title of this book is the Acts of the Apostles. But some have called it or referred to it as the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is the dominant force. And we see him working throughout the book. Thomas Schreiner, a New Testament professor at Midwestern Baptist Seminary in Kansas City, calls Acts the mission of the triune God. He says the Father orchestrates the work seen in the book of Acts. Christ lives and rules in his church, and the Holy Spirit empowers the church for the work of the kingdom. You discover the purpose of why this book is written throughout the book. There's not one clear statement, but many statements that attribute to the purpose of why it was written. Luke, with certainty, through an ordered narrative, shows that God has fulfilled his promises to Israel and to the nations in Jesus Christ. Again, Dr. Schreiner says that this book is a model for the renewal of the church. Acts speaks of the church as transitional in the sense that the events of Acts are non-repeatable events. And we will touch on that again later. But Acts speaks of the church transitionally in those non-repeatable events like Pentecost. But it also speaks of the program of the church. For it is a guide for the church in every age. I want to touch on that point because there is the tendency for some to look at certain things like the 
outpouring of the Holy Spirit or the day of Pentecost is something that is to be repeated throughout the history of the church, and that is not true. These are events that have happened. They are no more repeatable than the incarnation of Christ. It is no more repeatable than the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, his suffering death and resurrection. But in the book of Acts, we see God's program guiding the church in every age. When we think of the date of the book of Acts, we are convinced with with all conservative scholars that it's 63 AD it was written, not 63 CE or common era, but 63 AD. It is written after the Gospel of Luke, and it is written during the time of Paul's imprisonment in Rome. Evidence points in the book of Acts to an early dating. And so now we have touched on the background to this verse, to this book, and we will see more later, but I want us to go ahead and look at the introduction to the book of Acts as you are following your outline. And as you look at that prologue there in verse 1, that is the first point of the introduction, it says that the former treatise that I have made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up, after that he, through the Holy Ghost, hath given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen. Here, the writer of the Acts of the Apostles, Luke, draws our attention to the immediate purpose of the book of Acts. It's not a clear purpose statement. You'll see other purpose statements as you read through the book. But this is an immediate purpose because it provides a faithful and accurate account to Theophilus, this Greek who was a lover of God, of all that Jesus did and said. When you go back to Luke chapter 4, or I'm sorry, Luke chapter 1, there in Luke chapter 1, in that first sequel of the Luke-Acts account, it says, For as much as many have taken in hand to set forth in order a declaration of those things which are most assuredly believed among us, even as they delivered them unto us, which from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word, it seemed good to me also, having had a perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write unto thee in order, most excellent Theophilus, that thou mightst know the certainty of those things wherein thou hast been instructed. In Luke's account, you see the purpose statement laid out there that Luke writes to this one who is called a friend or lover of God, a convert to the Christian faith, giving him that record of all things related to the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ to his earthly ministry. Because he writes a orderly account for the purpose that he might know the certainty 
of the things in which he is instructed. And so Luke gives that account of those things, those eyewitness testimonies of what Christ did among his people. Now Luke records the earthly ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. But here in Acts, we see it in verse 1, that in that former treatise, in other words, in that former account, I told you of all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up. That is speaking of his ascension. And after that, he through the Holy Ghost gave commandments unto the apostles. So here the record in Acts records the, the work of Jesus Christ in the heavenly ministry, in that heavenly state. And so he reminds him here that the purpose of this book is to remind us of those things that will take place after Christ is taken up. When we think of the, and we'll see this again here in the opening introduction of, of the Acts of the Apostles, but when Jesus was taken up as, in his ascension, there were two acts that took place. There was his ascension and there was his session. The Lord Jesus Christ, when he ascended, ascended for the purpose of sitting in session, ruling, reigning over the church. And in the Acts of the Apostles, and this is a good point for us to remember, that in the Acts of the Apostles, Christ is ruling and reigning over his church. In his absence, he is still ruling and reigning over his church. And so we want to understand a proper biblical view of eschatology, that Christ is already reigning. He's not waiting for some future day to come and set up some earthly kingdom. His kingdom is already reigning over the earth through the church. And so he writes in this second account to remind him of all that will take place through these apostles as they are led by the work of the Holy Spirit. And so as we think of the prologue, we turn our attention to the second point of the introduction. And there are three things here that I think are needed to equip the apostles. I think we often miss this, and I think this is important in understanding the continuing ministry of the church. Even though Acts is a historical account, even though it's a narrative, as Dr. Schreiner reminds us, it also is for the intent of reviving the church, renewing the church and its ministry, and also the program of taking the gospel to all the earth. We must realize that the mission of the church, the program of the church, when people in this day talk about church programs, we have one program. And that is the proclamation of the gospel that goes forth to the ends of the earth and saves all of God's elect so that all the nations of the earth will come and worship the living Christ. And so here we find three things that are necessary. We spend a lot of money in churches, equipping churches 
for many things that are contrary to the purpose and mission of the church. But Jesus set himself particularly in this opening introduction to three things. And that first thing I think is so important. He equipped the apostles by commissioning them with authority. I think this is important because in our day there are many churches that are commissioning people for all kinds of things. And we would say the only commission that Christ gives to his church is lawfully men who are called and set aside who have been given authority over the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now here in the book of Acts, it is the Acts of the Apostles. It is the work of the Holy Spirit in these early apostles that is is seen here. But as we think of that, the apostolic ministry continues until the end of this age. It is an ordinary ministry. It's not an extraordinary ministry as it was in the book of Acts. But that ministry continues in an ordinary way as God sets apart commissioned men with authority. If a nation were to send an ambassador to another country, what good would it do for someone to just go and think he's an ambassador if he's not commissioned to go as an ambassador and if he's not given the credentials? Here the apostles are not only commissioned and called, but they're given the evidences, they're given the credentials that guaranteed their authority. The apostles, as we saw this in the book of the Gospel of Luke, the apostles were given authority over what? Unclean spirits. The apostles were given authority to raise the dead, to heal the sick. The church is not given that authority today. Some think they still have that authority, but it's not a a lawful authority. But our commission, our authority, comes from that apostolic witness that as the Lord commissioned those extraordinary men with authority, he gave them those credentials. So the church in every age commissions men with authority to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom. Sadly, in our day, the authority of the church is thrown out the window. People think they have no authority to anyone. Why should I give my authority to the church? In fact, we have all kinds of excuses for why we should not give allegiance to the authority, the lawful ordained authority that Christ has given to his church. But here in the text, it tells us that as... He writes unto him that the Holy Ghost had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen. There's two things there to note. He had chosen 12 men, and then he had given them commandments. What commandments did he give him them? Well, if you go back to the end of the account of Luke's gospel, and we will see this as well, in the Gospel of John. There, after Christ rose from the dead, after he appeared to those witnesses, he says in verse 48 of Luke chapter 24, Ye are witnesses of these things. And behold, 
I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry you in Jerusalem until you have been clothed with power on high. Then as Jesus was ascended, they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem and were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. They were immediately going out and doing the work that God had called them to do. But they are commissioned with authority, and we see that there at the end of Luke. Jesus gave authority there in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, that they were to go and make disciples of all the nations by baptizing them in the name of the triune God, and then teaching them to observe all things that the Lord had commanded them. But when you come to the end of John's account of the gospel, quite a little different, you see again in chapter 20 that he had commissioned the church. He had given them commandments to go forth and to proclaim the gospel to the ends of the earth. And so it's important for us to see that Christ gave them commandments He commissioned them. He called them to a certain work and ministry. He called them to preach repentance for the remission of sins into all nations. There in John chapter 20, verse 30 and 31, and many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples which are not written in this book, but these are written. These are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. And so that could be said of all of those gospel accounts, that these are written so that we might believe that Jesus is the Christ. And yet, the only way we can know that Jesus is the Christ is those commissioned men with authority, go forth to proclaim the gospel to the ends of the earth. There in John chapter 20, as Jesus is there with his disciples, it's an interesting account that takes place there in chapter 20. There in chapter 20, It speaks of the Lord Jesus Christ breathing upon his disciples, imparting to them the Holy Spirit and telling them that whosoever sins you remit, they are remitted, and whosoever sins you retain, they are retained. And when he said that, he had in mind that the church's authority is to retain or to remit sin in the sense of retaining Sin, that is, the church is to bar from its membership those who do not subscribe to its covenant, and those whose sins are remitted shows the power of the church to give forgiveness, to proclaim forgiveness to those who repent of sin. The church does not have authority to automatically give um, forgiveness to sinners, but it does have authority to grant forgiveness to those who seek repentance and the forgiveness of sins through Christ alone. 
And so we see that he gives these apostles, equips them with a commissioned authority so that people might know that they are from God. If a so-called prophet or apostle would come to town today and would have some kind of healing ministry or crusade, what would give him authority that would demand that we go and listen to what he says and receive it? He has no authority. And yet here we find that the apostles are given that authority from Christ and no other. And so that's important to remember. But secondly, they are equipped to verifying the truth concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 3, Whom also he showed himself, that is Christ, alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days, and speaking of things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And so here the apostles are to verify particularly things concerning the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. He appeared unto them by many infallible proofs. There are many infallible proofs of the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel records show it. There is the the infallible proof of his incarnation. There's the infallible proof of his earthly ministry, of his suffering, death, and now the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ is particularly, I think, what Luke has in mind because the resurrection is the central message of the book of the Acts of the Apostles. And so he shows them that after his suffering or passion, by many infallible proofs, he spoke to them concerning the kingdom of God. And so Jesus as he met with his apostles there after his resurrection, he, he verified the truth of these things. Only an apostle could have an eyewitness of the resurrection of Christ. Nobody else could claim that. And yet the apostles were eyewitnesses of his resurrection. And man that I mentioned earlier that can come to town and hold a healing crusade has not seen the resurrection of Christ. He is not a verified witness and yet these men are verified witness of the things concerning the kingdom of God but thirdly and finally we see another thing that's needed to equip the apostles and that is spirit filled power that is one of the themes of the acts of the apostles the spirit filled power. Now I'm going to say more about that later because um, I think this is so important in our day when there's extremes on both sides concerning the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me just say that as Christ equipped these apostles, he did fill them with the Holy Spirit that they might go forth with power and with boldness. I take you back to John chapter 20, as we see again in that record of what Jesus said there in verse 21 of John 20. 
Jesus said to them again, Peace be unto you. As my Father has sent me, even so send I you. That's important because he's sending them as those commissioned with authority. And then when he said this, he breathed on them and said, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. This is not something that is repeatable. The church is not to breathe upon men so that they might receive the Holy Spirit. There is one particular TV evangelist that does. But that is not what the record testifies to here. He breathed on those eyewitnesses and said, Receive ye the Holy Spirit. And so as we think of that final act that Jesus did there in John's account of the gospel, verse 4 tells us that they assembled themselves together, that is the apostles, and he commanded them, Jesus told them before his ascension, that they were to wait for 40 days in Jerusalem for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. Jesus gave them that command. Jesus told them to wait for 40 days. Jesus told them specifically to wait for the promise of the Father. Now here... We come to the end of our text, and it says, For John truly baptized with water, ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost, not many days hence. Now there in the record in Matthew's account of the gospel, John comes baptizing Jews in the Jordan River. This was not a Christian baptism, because later in the book of Acts, you will see that the disciples of John who were baptized by John are now baptized in Christ. And so this is important to note that John, in his preparatory work of preparing the Jews to hear the gospel of Christ, baptizes them, cleanses them with that ceremonial washing that was typical of the Old Testament. But then he tells them, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. I think this is so important to note that Jesus promises to give power to those who are commissioned with authority, to those who verify the truth claims of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says, you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost. Not many days I know many years ago when I was starting out in my Christian life and struggling like many of us do, trying to figure out all of these things, I was convinced by some in a prayer group that I needed the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But that baptism of the Holy Spirit, which John's, which uh, Luke speaks of here, is a baptism that was given specifically to the apostles to empower them for the work of the ministry. It is not a repeatable thing. The church does not have that same power that those apostles did. But Jesus promises them that he will baptize them with the Holy Spirit 
not many days hence. And so that's an, an indication of the fact that there in Acts chapter 2, as the Holy Ghost is poured out upon those apostles, they began to speak in other tongues as people from all nations and tribes are coming to hear the gospel. Now the apostles are empowered with the Spirit. Now the question is, we see the one extreme of those who see the repeating of this baptism of the Holy Spirit in every age. Believers are filled with the Holy Spirit. But the church is empowered with the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost, as it's shown in the authorized version, to empower the church for its work and its ministry. It was the early brethren movement, the Plymouth Brethren, who denied that the church in this age needed the Holy Spirit. And there are others who followed in that same line when the Campbellites came along in those revival movements in Cane Ridge, Kentucky. They didn't know what the Holy Spirit was. They just had the Word of God. But it is the Holy Spirit that enlightens our minds. It is the Holy Spirit that illuminates our understanding so that we might know the Word of God. But the church in every age needs the power of the Holy Spirit to carry on the work of ministry. And that power primarily is given to those who are commissioned with authority to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. That spirit-filled power will not come in some miraculous, extraordinary way as it did here, as we will see in Acts chapter 2. But the church is filled, empowered with the Spirit. Because if the church is not filled with the power of the Spirit, we will not be able to do the work that God has commanded us to do. There are many things here in this introduction as we think about the book of Acts, and we'll come back to some of these points throughout our study. But I want us to see there in verse 8 of chapter 1. This is important in this introduction. But ye, that is the apostles, shall receive power after that Holy Ghost is come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Chapters 1 through 12 give us the account of these witnesses in Jerusalem. Chapters 13 through 28 give us a record of these witnesses in Judea, Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. They took the gospel to that known region because the Holy Spirit came upon them. But that work continues. That work continues in the ordinary calling of ministers, pastors, to proclaim the gospel. It goes forth as men are commissioned to go and take the gospel to nations of the earth. I know when David, Pastor David Robbins was thinking of going to Italy, the first question this session had for him when we were thinking of giving him support is, are you commissioned? Who's sending you? Because oftentimes a man, a man wants to be a missionary or a woman, and so they think that they can just go to some country without any kind of authority or commission. 
that he is commissioned by the OPC, particularly in this, this state, Wisconsin OPC Presbytery. And so we see that the Lord fills the church with the Spirit. But particularly the Lord fills the entirety of his church. He fills his house with his glory so that we might live out the gospel, that we might proclaim the gospel through those men who have been called and set apart. It's a wonderful book as we think about all of the things, and there's, there's a lot in here, but I think it's important for us to see that as we look at this account of eyewitnesses taking the gospel to the ends of the earth, they could not have done that without the power of the Holy Spirit. Pastors and missionaries can exhaust themselves physically if they are not relying upon the power of the Holy Spirit to fill them. And I think that's an important truth for us as Presbyterians, is we don't reject the Holy Spirit as some of these false groups have done, but we see the work of the Holy Spirit filling the church, testifying to the saving work of the Lord Jesus Christ. But the question this morning for us to consider is have we come to understand the truth claims of the Lord Jesus Christ? There are some sitting here who are baptized members of this church who've never made a profession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the question is, what do you believe about Christ? Do you see the power of Christ working in your life? Have you trusted in Him for your salvation? Are you resting in Him for your hope? This is an important thing for us to consider. Because if we just read through the accounts, if we just memorize our catechism questions, if we just go through all the formality, and yet there's no real experience of Christ in our heart and life, and I think that's a... That's a a sad commentary. But it is the Holy Spirit that fills us, fills the church, that she might witness to the saving grace of Christ. It is the ministry of the church through the proclamation of the gospel alone that testifies to the nations of the earth that Christ is Savior, Redeemer, and Lord. One thing you'll find here in the book of Acts is that Jesus is the Lord of his church. And if he is the Lord of the church and has commissioned the church with authority to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, and each one of us are called to trust in Christ, to follow him, to give our allegiance and our obedience unto him. Let us go forth and give thanks unto the Lord for the wonderful working of his spirit throughout the history of the church. All of the mighty accounts of what Christ does through his witnesses and how Christ will be known savingly throughout all the earth. Let us pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we do give thee thanks this morning for your wonderful work, that saving work that you accomplished upon the earth. But we particularly give thee thanks that thou are now seated in royal session 
at the right hand of the Father in heaven, continuing that heavenly ministry through the work of your Spirit in the church. Lord, we do confess that times we don't understand the authority that thou hast given unto the church. We do not understand the power that thou hast given unto the church. But we plead, O Lord, that thou wouldst pour out thy Spirit upon the church in this day, that she might be diligent and faithful to the work of thy kingdom. Lord, we pray that thou wouldst encourage our hearts as we consider these things this morning. And we ask that as we go forth, we might indeed see the working of Christ in the life of his church and give testimony by giving glory and honor unto Christ. And it is in his name that we pray. Amen.